couldn't sleep at all that night. Welcome all you sunrisers and moonrisers to Sleepless in Studio City, a safe place for discussing what's keeping your mind, body, and spirit from sweet, sound slumber. Your host, Dr. Debs, a celebrated columnist, lauded love, romance, relationship, and dating coach, offers simple, soothing solutions and heartfelt help. Dr. Debs will discuss topics such as finding and keeping the love you deserve, dating, marriage, parenting, setting boundaries, breaking the cycle, breaking up, following your dreams. We respect your privacy and will not reveal names or contact info. If you'd like your questions answered during a show but are hesitant to call in, please feel free to write Dr. Debs at sleeplessinstudiocity at gmail.com and she will address your concerns on the next broadcast. You can also find updates and weekly affirmations on Facebook slash Sleepless in Studio City. And now, without further ado... Here's Dr. Debs. Thank you, Zach, for that energizing introduction. Always a pleasure and honor to be here with all you night owls for another exciting episode of Sleepless in Studio City. Stay tuned for our magical musical interlude. I'll be presenting the award-winning, acclaimed artist, the stunning stellar singer and songwriter, Melissa Manchester. You won't want to miss this. She'll be performing a tune very apropos for what's going on in the world today with a message we could all use. <laughs> She'll be talking about her history, or her story as I call it, the meaning of music in her life, advice for aspiring artists, what she believes is the key to finding and keeping love, and much, much more. <laughs> Stay tuned. You won't want to miss this intimate interview with Melissa Manchester. I was thinking about how we have nothing left. <laughs> Stripped naked from all outside distractions and activities. Stripped away of everything but our character. Stripped away of makeup left with nothing but masks to cover up our smiles, our smirks, our frowns, and muffle our disdaining remarks in our hostile language, stripped away of friends, family, relationships, stripped of nothing but me, myself, and I. What a rude awakening. No wonder many of us are at our wits' end, not knowing what to do with ourselves, so used to running, doing, 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 and now we're just human beings, beings, being, being, being. No wonder so much pain. No wonder so much angst. No wonder so much fear. We're down to the basics, down to our navel, just like 
The animal kingdom. <laughs> down to our minds, down to the neighborhood of our minds where they say it's a dangerous place. Don't go there alone. But we are alone. Existentially, we're always alone. Now that we're raw and naked, it's our chance to develop some emotional intimacy into me see. We have no choice. We have to develop our inner confidence, our existential confidence, meaning we can be secure with nothing around us, no material objects, not even touching or sexual intimacy. It's only what's inside of us. I've been spouting about how it's an inside job for Anne's. Now is the time to actually put that into practice. I guess that's a blessing of COVID and the pandemic. We have no alternative. We're up against the wall of our own building, the barriers to intimacy, sensitivity, vulnerability. It's not just with ourselves, but with others. It's time to turn ourselves inside out. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if we could walk around and the world would see each of us only from the insides out? Oh my gosh, instead of focusing on what we look like, our clothes, what we wear, our size, our outers, we'd have to focus on who we are, our character, our essence, our chi, our vibration, our energy, our demeanor. Ooh, I have chills. <laughs> I would love that to see everyone from the inside. I remember in the 60s, I went to this nudist nightclub. <laughs> you went in there and you had to take off your clothes. And all people looked at was, well, they certainly didn't look at my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> they say if you look in your eyes, you will see your soul. Just like the mirror work I've been talking about, standing in front of the mirror and looking deep into your eyes where you will see your spirit and your soul and saying your affirmations. Well, we could do that with people. I mean, we can't talk. <laughs> Our mouths are covered with masks. All we can do is see into our eyes. I like it. <laughs> I love it. I am so sick of judging everyone from their outsides. And I am guilty, guilty, guilty of that. From a young age, I was taught it only matters what you look like from the outside. My mom used to <laughs> say to me, where are you going? Your shoes don't match your purse. You can't go outside like that. <laughs> I had no idea there was any insides, <laughs> including organs. I didn't know you had to take care of your organs, your physical insides, let alone your emotional insides. I didn't know you had to feed yourself with proper nourishment. I didn't know you had to sleep a certain amount of hours. I didn't even know about personal hygiene. I didn't even know that there was Tampax before I went to college because my mom said, you can't use that. You'll ruin yourself for your husband. So I had to walk around with blood all over the place. <laughs> Sorry, guys, for being so candid. But it's the truth. 
I didn't know about anything but clothes in my closet and how to put myself together. I knew about makeup, but I didn't know about washing your face or cleaning your face or anything like that. Oh, woe is me. This sounds horrendous. <laughs> Just hearing it makes me sick to my stomach. Oh my gosh, and I've tried so hard to break the cycle. Talk about things that are inside rather than outside. Okay, so I haven't broken the cycle totally. I have a wonderful daughter that looks beautiful on the outside, but guess what? She's beautiful on the inside, too. Whew. I got chills again, and hopefully I've been an example of how to take care of ourselves inside. <laughs> and if we only saw people from the inside out, wow. I wonder who would be attracted to who. <laughs> I certainly would approach people differently. I would look at their nature, their disposition, their temperament, their spirit, their ethos, their integrity, their honor, their moral strength, moral fiber, rectitude, uprightness. I would look at their resolve, <laughs> their fortitude, their backbone. Well, I guess you could look at your backbone physically from the outside. But you certainly can't discern or decipher any of those other qualities by the color of your hair or eyes or how much you weigh or by the size of your boobs or butt or abs. We can't even rely on others anymore to rescue us. We're on our own. No wonder everyone is petrified to the ninth degree. There's no one to hear our cries. Even if they hear us, they can't come running to save us. I heard a friend of mine talking the other day about how she was so petrified that she might fall and need to be rushed to the hospital, but no one would come and take her because everybody's quarantined and they don't want to risk being that close. So they're not going to go into your house. I mean, <laughs> I guess I could call the firemen and they would come in, but <laughs> even they would be fearful and leery. I've wanted to help others in the past seven months since the pandemic began, but I've had to stop myself when I was about to offer my home as a refuge. A friend of mine called and her husband was verbally abusing her and she was like, can I come there if I need to? And at first I said yes, and then I thought, oh my God, I can't risk my own life. Ugh, we are forced to put ourselves first. Ugh, another terrifying concept. It's our lives or theirs. Even our children, our parents, our loved ones. We have to pause and say, do I want to risk my very existence? Do I want to risk my own life? Would you put the oxygen mask on someone else before saving yourself? Now, that's a tough question to ponder. Philosophers have pondered that for centuries. Well, it's finally come to fruition. How do we separate the men from the mice or the men from the boys? We're at a turning point in more ways than one. Do you have enough chutzpah <laughs> to say yes to yourself and no to others? <laughs> That's an idea I've been expounding upon my entire life. COVID is here to make it simple. Life or death. It's adamant, crucial, essential. There's no hemming or hawing or feeling guilty when you say no to others and yes to yourself. Ah, 
The pandemic is giving us the courage. It's giving us the moxie <laughs> to finally put ourselves first. I'm actually in heaven, you guys. Oh, I hate to admit this. <sighs> but I'm grateful for the pandemic in that I can say no so easily and nobody makes a fuss. Well, actually, they do. <laughs> Somebody was like, what do you mean you can't go out? What do you mean you can't even be six feet apart with a mask? <laughs> that is the peace de la resistance of this whole nightmare. <laughs> Finally, maybe the planet will remember that we have to take care of our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health before we are good to anyone else. If we can recollect those simple aspects, we are much less likely to be a civilization walking around, hurting each other, killing each other, murdering each other by mouth or otherwise, treating each other badly, because we are not treating ourselves badly. It's not which comes first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> this is what comes first. People who act in a vicious way, they're not treating themselves well. People who are violent towards others are violent towards themselves. Whether it's mentally, emotionally, physically, verbally, intellectually, spiritually, they're despising themselves, loathing themselves. And in some way, they've been treated that way by others. Think about it. People who are mean have been treated that way. Where did they learn it? We don't come into the world being mean. <laughs> we all come into the world pure and innocent. It's all about nurture, not nature. We're not born murderers by mouth. We learn it. <laughs> so how do we heal people? No, we don't just put them in prison. There's a new bill. Instead of putting addicts in jail for the rest of their lives, why don't we treat the cause, not just the symptoms? Same with drugs. When you take all these drugs to medicate yourself from these doctors that are taught they have to do that, you're only treating the symptoms. That's why I never take an aspirin for a headache. <laughs> First, I try to find out why I have a headache. And it's the same thing with people who are evil. <laughs> why are they being evil? Treat the cause, not the symptom, which is another reason why it behooves you to pray for those who hurt you, who are vile, foul, base, and low. Inevitably, I can guarantee you they didn't get their needs met by their caregivers. Those three innate needs we all have, which are for love, significance, and security. 
Show me the most rotten, low-down, hateful person you know, and I'll show you a child who was abandoned without being held and nurtured, who was treated unfairly, unkindly, cruelly, and horribly. Show me someone spiteful, malicious, despicable, contemptible, and odious, and I'll show you someone who cried and cried and wasn't acknowledged, who didn't have trustworthy caregivers, who couldn't depend on those raising them to be there when they needed something. As Osho the Great Tantra Master said, there is nothing wrong with anyone except they didn't get enough love. Ooh, ooh. I've got chills. I've got to say that again. Quote, there is nothing wrong with anyone except they didn't get enough love. And I'm going to extend that to not only being wrong emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, but physically. When there is something wrong with someone, when they have a disease, an illness, a dis-ease, they aren't getting enough love. They didn't get enough love. Cure cancer with loving yourself and getting your needs met. Yes, it's okay if you want to get medical treatment. Certainly, I'm saying there's value in medical treatment. But in addition, Let's look for the cause so it doesn't recur and come back in another form. Emotional wellness can heal many autoimmune deficiency disorders, many other illnesses or diseases. That's why they call it a disease. Your body is not at ease. It's at (laughs) dis-ease. We've got to start at the beginning and not go backwards. Show me someone who is nasty, unpleasant, obnoxious, loathsome, and horrid. I'll show you someone who was told they'd never amount to anything, who was chastised, who was put down, demeaned, humiliated, given the silent treatment, or worse, put in a closet when they didn't live up to their parents' expectations. And that's not just a physical closet I'm talking about. That could be an emotional closet. Like when I grew up, I was put in a closet with my creativity, my parents told me I did not play piano good enough or I wasn't going to make enough money. They told me to be quiet. I was bothering them. They told me to be quiet, not only at the piano, not only singing, but to be quiet about any of my needs. They didn't want to hear it. (laughs) That kind of silent treatment is despicable. (laughs) Despicable me? No. Despicable them. (laughs) The worst kind of abuse is when you don't live up to your parents' expectations, when they don't allow you to be who you were born to be, when they try to control you and mold you like the stage mom (laughs) who is trying to live through their child and forces you to be on television or in a movie. Oh my God, I can't take it when they do that. (laughs) Demanding you follow in their footsteps. It's not even though an overt demand. It could be covert. Those are the worst kind of abusers who do it 
covertly. Oh, it's okay if you want to do what you want to do. But if you do, well, I'm going to take you out of the will. (laughs) Or I'm not going to support you in that. Or why can't you do this? Or, you know, just that, oh, that pressure that you don't even realizing you're being pressured into. I reiterate that parents ought to have to take parenting classes before they're allowed to have a child. Partners, similarly, ought to have to take marriage classes before they tie the knot. And more important, these life lessons that I'm talking about ought to be taught in school. What if children were taught in schools how to treat each other, how to treat themselves, how to take care of themselves? Ah, What if it were imperative to teach loving behavior for ourselves and for others? What if focusing on the heart instead of the mind were obligatory and paramount? Ah, What if focusing on respect, gentleness, boundary setting, values, morals, and ethics were mandatory, compulsory? Ah, Ah, it would be a world without war. It would be a world without murder, physical murder, verbal murder, spiritual murder. What if the powers that be focused on urgent pressing matters such as love, tolerance, patience, kindness, respect? Maybe, just maybe, the world would not be disintegrating and dissolving right before our eyes. Oh, love. What is love? Most people think love is physical love. But what about agape love? What about the love that means doing something in the best interest of the other person, even if it's not what you want or desire? That's the letting go of our children and doing what's in their best interests. That's the letting go of a friend, of a spouse, of a lover, and doing what's in their best interests. That's the definition of love that says, when I'm with you, I'm in touch with the capable, most loving, creative, most dynamic parts of myself. That's the definition of love that says, love is an act of service an act of devotion to another person being there for them. Loving someone means that you want them to flourish as a human being. You want them to be their best. You want them to step up to be their highest self, even if it doesn't involve You, you can tell the character of someone else by how they treat those who can do nothing for them. I'm going to say that again, the definition of character, how you treat those who can do nothing for you. (laughs) Even a love object (laughs) who won't sexually appease you or who sexually doesn't appeal to you. I remember there was this guy at this singles event. I was introducing him to another guy. He said, why would you introduce me to him? He had a temper tantrum and wouldn't even talk to the guy and walked away. 
because what could a guy do for this other guy at a singles event? All he wanted to do is meet women. Woo! That tells you that person's character. <laughs> I unfortunately did not listen to the Maya Angelou quote about the first time someone shows you who they are, believe them. <laughs> I didn't even heed that red flag. I continued to relate to that person. Well, it got worse from there. <laughs> so please remember these character traits and what it means so that you don't have to be the person who says the first time, shame on them. The second time, shame on me. <laughs> Love, a selfless act, a decision you make each day, each moment. It's one-sided. Love does not have to be reciprocal. That's not the goal. <laughs> Most people keep score. I'll do this for you if you do that for me. Tit for tat. Even when you're having sex. Well, I'm going to give you this pleasure only if you give me that pleasure. <laughs> Love is not always reciprocity. It's a metaphysical reality. And if you contemplate on this definition of love, this deep definition of love being an act of service, an act of devotion to another person, it will change your life. You can arrive at love through discussing what devotion means. First, you have to make a decision to remain devoted and then a discussion to find out what's going on with the other person. <laughs> oh, wow. Check it out. Finding out what's going on with them. Wondering what it's like inside of them. Ooh. Have you asked lately your child, your mother, your father, your spouse, your best friend, What's it like in there for them? How do they feel without offering your advice or what you think they should be doing without shooting on them? Have you asked one of these close people in your caress if there's anything you can do to make their life better? A simple question. Can I do anything to make your life better? better. When is the last time you asked that profound question? It is even better than the golden rule. This is the golden question. What can I do to make your life better? <laughs> That's true love. Trying to understand, to become aware of your loved one's heart, soul, their nature, what they're going through, how they're experiencing things, what it's like in there. It's not how you want them to be or imagine them to be or expect them to be or surmise them to be. Don't assume where the first three letters are A-S-S -S, or project your needs or how 
you require them to be so you will feel okay, especially regarding parenting. Just because you've been 10 once doesn't mean you know what it's like for your child to be 10 or 20 or 30. Just because you went through something traumatic doesn't mean you know what something traumatic is like for them. (laughs) Love, love, love. Everyone thinks they know what it is. Everyone thinks they experience love. Maybe they're talking about physical love, brotherly love, parental love, (laughs) sexual love. But what about agape love? The selfless love. (laughs) Wanting your love interest to flourish as a human being. Wanting what's best for them whether it involves you or not, whether it involves your opinion or not. Let's take this a step further. If we taught not only love, acceptance, tolerance, but what if we taught forgiveness in schools? (laughs) Throw out those books and those syllabuses. Burn them all. I'm a great book learner. I've got a zillion degrees, but has that helped me in life relationships? Learning about love, patience, and tolerance? No, it's got to be experiential. We've got to use teachable moments with our children, our friends, our lovers, our partners, ourselves. We've got to learn from our mistakes. We've got to learn by being vulnerable and authentic, by opening ourselves up to others, by coming out of the closet to thine own self be true. We've got to refrain from having to win, from knowing it all, from having to be right. Resign yourself from the know-it-all society. We've got to be teachable, humble, and listen. Take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth. (laughs) Have you listened to someone today? I've got chills again. Listen, listen, listen to their insides talking, not just their words. I mean, really listen, active listening. Give someone your complete attention without any distractions. Turn off that phone. Oh my God, I did that tonight. With my daughter, I wasn't paying attention. Thank God for her. What a precious human being she is to remind me to pay attention. Oh, I love it. I love to be reminded when I'm not all there (laughs) for someone else. Practice listening without judgment or preconceived notions of how you want them to be, what you want them to say, what you need them, expect them to be. And when they don't live up to your expectations, don't put them down, chastise them, berate them, laugh at them. Instead, you can give them the gift of freedom to be who they are. (laughs) Are you usually the judge and the jury? Do you think you know what's best for the world and everyone and everything around you? (laughs) Because if you do, pay attention and listen to this other profound quote from Osho, that great Tantra master. If you are alone and lonely, it's only because you have too 
many criteria on your love. Again, I'm going to repeat the Osho quote. If you are alone and lonely, it's only because you have too many criteria on your love. (laughs) Get rid of those lists of how other people have to be or even how you have to be. My favorite definition of love is if you're supposed to be with someone, no matter what you say or don't say, no matter what you do or don't do, you will be with that person. Whether it's a child, parent, lover, spouse, friend, employee, employer, neighbor, and alternatively, if you're not supposed to be with that person, no matter what you say or don't say, or what you do or don't do, you won't be with that person. In other words, you've got to trust the universe. There's something out there that's more powerful than you. You do not have control over everybody and everything and what they do or say or don't do or don't say. <laughs> well, that's the good news about the epidemic. <laughs> Maybe it will get rid of all the rageaholics that are traversing the planet because we're going to start to see people inside out. We're going to start to look at the cause and find out how to love ourselves and others and pray for those you resent. Forgive them for what they do not know. I don't mean to excuse or condone their behavior. But free yourself. Allow your best self to rise to the occasion. Don't go down to the level of those people that have hurt you. You can emerge from all of this, from this pandemic, from the negativity, from the darkness, and come into the light. Rise to a higher plane of consciousness. That is what is going to heal the planet if everybody individually can rise to the occasion to become their best self, their highest self, their loving self to themselves and others. If we start loving, following my definition of loving, doing what's in the best interest for the others, for the other person, finding out what you can do to help them flourish, finding out how you can nourish them, finding out how you can help yourself nourish and flourish, asking other people, what can I do to make your life better? Well, if you follow those golden rules, the entire universe will transform right before our eyes. And maybe we can take off our masks And I don't mean the ones that we're wearing now, but taking off the masks that keep us from honesty and authenticity, connecting inside to inside. (laughs) Let's start praying for everyone, especially the difficult people we resent and the institutions we abhor with these blessings. May you be happy. 
May you be peaceful. May you be safe. May you be free from suffering. May you awaken to your true nature. Let's take advantage of this time. This is a tender time to be tender with ourselves and others, to watch our thoughts, to set aside time, to be tender with ourselves, to expand our awareness, to do what it takes to be tender and tough, tender with our vulnerabilities, our sensitivities, tough with our thoughts. Don't let them consume you. Rise above negativity. You can do it. We can all do it and move into the light. Don't let that darkness consume us. It's trying really hard. We can come together. That's where we will get the power. There's power in numbers. This is a tender time to be tough on ourselves, making sure we don't lax off and start treating ourselves and others badly. Tender shepherd, tender shepherd, let me help you count your sheep. (laughs) Now it's time for our caller. Hello there. Welcome to Sleepless in Studio City. I'm Dr. Debs, and who am I speaking with? You're speaking to Stephen from Culver City. Hi, Stephen. Welcome to the show. And what's on your mind tonight? What's keeping you from sweet, soft slumber? Yes. Um, I've been having an ongoing issue with friends. It seems to have gotten worse during this COVID period. But I will make a request of a friend, maybe ask a favor, or just a general request. And the request is, like, either ignored or the person does not respond to the request. And uh, I find that very frustrating. Also, I've had a problem with people being habitually late when I have appointments to see them. And I'm kind of uh, perplexed. Because I'm a very punctual person, I'm a very, very responsible person, and it's hard for me to figure out why I'm attracting this kind of person into my life. Are you saying this is a pattern, that this has been going on before COVID as well? Yes, yes, I feel that um, it's gotten worse during COVID, but but it has been a pattern throughout my life. When did you first notice this? It sounds like you're aware of what's going on. When did you first notice that you were attracting these sort of people? Mm. Well, I've done a lot of psychological work, and I've kind of noticed that this is kind of a pattern from my parents, that uh, my father was very neglectful, and it seems like those are the kind of men that I have in my life that they're very neglectful kind of people. And my mother would always say no. So uh, whenever I would ask someone for a favor, it was very hard to do that because in my childhood, whenever I asked, the answer was always no. So 
So it took me a long time to be able to even trust to ask someone for a favor or for help. And now that I'm doing that, the answer is still no. So so it's very frustrating. Oh, my heart goes out to you, Stephen. Oh, I got chills right now. I totally relate to this, you know, and coming from that, my hat goes off to you for being so brave to try to break that cycle, considering what you've been through. Was there anyone in your life that was not neglectful or did not always say no to you? No, I don't think I had any close contact. Uh, with people, I uh, we uh, lived across the street from a park, so I made a lot of friends through sports, and I would go over to a couple of friends' houses, and uh, I got some nurturing from you know those people. But whenever I tried to extend that, like you know, do a sleepover or something, my mother would always say, "No, you can't," you know, sleepover. You can't go over there for dinner. Uh, you know, whenever I tried to bond with these other people more strongly, she would always interfere with that. Oh, Oof. Again, I got chills and I feel so much compassion for you. The good news is at least you had some moments of that nurturing where you did experience in these other people's homes. Do you remember what that felt like? Yeah, well, it did. I mean, it was such a drastic difference from my home that, um, yeah, it was a warm, you know, a warm feeling that there are people out there that can be supportive of you, you know, that can care about you. But again, it was such short glimpses when, you know, you're barraged by living at home. But it's funny, just this past month or so, I've been thinking... When I went away from college, you know, when I got out of the home, I was just 19 at that time when I went away to college, it was such a liberating feeling. It, it, it was like being let out of prison. Um, I, I just couldn't believe the change of just being in a totally different atmosphere. And, you know, you know not having that oppression, you know, sabotage going on all the time. So, I mean, it was hard to adjust because I'd been so overprotected all my life. But it was such a sense of, you know, freedom, you know, freedom from the oppressor. Oh, I'm speechless in Studio City instead of sleepless in Studio City just at everything that you went through. And I wish I could just sit there and give you some nurturing. I'm happy you had that in college. Did that follow in relationships when you were in college? Is that when you first experienced letting people in? Because you said you started to let people in and that was difficult for you. Did you start to do that at that point? Well, it was a slow adjustment. You know, it was a slow adjustment. I was just trying to cope with now being out of the home. I guess it's like when prisoners have to be released into society. They really don't have the skills to cope with, you know, that kind of environment. Right. I kind of felt the same way that it was. uh, I had to develop these coping skills, which, you know, I didn't have as a young person. Um, in my senior year, I fell in love with a woman, and I mean, that was just so nurturing, and 
and so positive. It's uh, a relationship that has stayed with me all my life. But it was pretty short. It was a short. Uh, it was a short relationship. Yet it was so profound because it was the first time that someone saw me and grokked me and you know loved me for the person that I was. It was, you know, it was very profound. Oh, I'm so happy you had that and so relate to that part of coming out of prison. And you were, you were in a prison. It sounds like you were in solitary confinement. Well, it was because my mother was a very violent, very uh, erratic person that I stayed in my room all the time to avoid attack or avoid you know, setting her off. Right. You know, because I never knew when she was going to go off. So avoidance was kind of a way to, you know, deal with her. That's a great coping skill. As a child, I have to say, I used to lock myself in the bathroom for fear of my father's rage. And I would spend hours locked in a bathroom with nothing. And in those days, there was no phones or computers or anything. I didn't even have a book. I would just spend hours there petrified to come out. So I know what you mean about prison. Ooh, got chills again. Well, I am happy to hear you felt loved and grokked and accepted for who you are. Was there a time after that? You said that was short-lived. What was the next time you remember feeling nurtured? Well, unfortunately, after that relationship, I felt so hurt, you know, by the breakup that I really shut my heart down and and shut down for many years. Um, You know, trusting that again and being so hurt, it was very hard to... I mean, I never trusted my mom, and now I had this other relationship, which, you know, I thought was solid and real, and that turned out to be very temporary. And so that was very hurtful. Was there a time you opened up your heart again since then? Just kind of glimpses. I don't think fully, probably not. My heart goes out to you. My question is, would you like to open up your heart? Yes, I I think it would be healthy and loving and good to do that. It sounds like you're willing I got chills again, or you wouldn't have made a phone call. I am so excited to that possibility because I know you can. I know you've got the courage. You've done it before, and I know you can do it again. This could be a great season and a great COVID blessing to do that. Hold on to those thoughts. We're going to take a brief station break. I want to come back and talk to you about ways you might want to start opening that beautiful, beautiful heart of yours. So hold on to that thought, Stephen, and we'll be right back. The moment you've been waiting for, our magical musical interlude featuring the award-winning, stunning, stellar singer and songwriter, Melissa Manchester. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thanks very much. How are you? Um, great. It's such a pleasure and honor to have you. Thanks. 
I wanted to start out hearing a little bit about your history, or her story as I call it, and how you came to pursue a career in music. Well, I was raised in a very musical family. My father was a musician, and um, I, uh, I always wanted to be in the music industry, and um, I was singing a lot. I became a jingle singer when I was 15, and I started writing uh, around that time, and um, got a publishing deal with Chapel Music when I was 17, and Submitted lots of demos to different uh, record companies, and in the meantime, I studied songwriting with Paul Simon and started working with Bette Midler and singing jingles with Barry Manilow and Patty Austin, and I became the founding member of the Harlots for Bette Midler, and shortly after that, I got a recording deal, and um, I was off to the races playing lots of clubs and coffee houses and concerts. And yeah, that's how it started. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Do you have any inspirations or people who influenced you at the onset of your career? Well, I was inspired originally when I was five years old by Ella Fitzgerald. She, when I first heard her sing, she was the light in my life. And I just wanted to bypass childhood entirely and get big and do what she did. <laughs> I love it. Do you remember counting the minutes until you would get there? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Do you have a preference of songwriting or performing or singing? No, they're all part of the same urge to express myself. I love it. Well, what is the meaning of music in your life? Well, music has given me a life. And um, I know that the power of music, the power of song, can be uplifting or illuminating or galvanize a nation or clarify a mind. And so I know it's always been that for me, and I see that it does that for other people. So it's, uh, it's kind of remarkable, and it's been that way ever since I started a long time ago. Oh. I love that. That's why I've been doing these showcases, which hopefully you will be performing at soon, because I believe in the healing power of music, especially right now. And it's universal. I love that it is international and is the same in any language. And I just really believe that it could heal a lot of what the problems are going on in the universe with this pandemic. The thing that's saving me, and I got chills, is music. And having this show and having people like you come on and having a showcase where singers and songwriters and musicians are grateful to have a platform, even though it's on Zoom, even though nobody's getting paid, just because music is so healing and without it, we wouldn't be able to get through any of this, right? Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the power of song and lyrics, I love your lyrics, especially in this song called Just You and I. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that song and how that came about. Well, I wrote that song with Carol Sager. We were writing partners for about five years. And um, 
at the time that we wrote it, which was in the 70s, we were young women trying to figure out how to navigate life, how to figure, navigate our early marriages, um, how to claim a voice for ourselves, a place for ourselves. And so we would talk about this, and out of our discussions came the, the themes for the song and the inspiration for the song. And it's, um, it's remarkable for me that the song has grown into this moment. Many of my songs have. And so when I released uh, Just You and I, the first single of my upcoming 24th album called Review, because it's an album of my hits that were that I've re-recorded with a few little harmonic tweaks, but but it's essentially the the same composition. But um, this time it was my tribute to first responders, and so there's a lovely video that goes with it, and it's it's on my Facebook pages, and um, and it's on iTunes and all all the appropriate platforms to download. But in addition to Recording, re-recording it. I am um, artist in residence down at Citrus Community College here in Glendora, California, and they have a spectacular music department. And so I used their student singers in the in the choir sections that I composed for them, and I brought on their pop band players to play on the track because they all get credit for these performances in real time, so it's sort of a win-win for both of us, and I think they sounded just fantastic, and they really brought the piece to life. <gasps> oh, I'm so <laughs> moved by that. How wonderful. Not only that you yeah. can bring back these lyrics, I just love how the lyrics in this song is apropos today and endearing yeah. and outlasting everything. It's as if you wrote it yesterday. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, you know, that, that's one of the things that uh, I felt that this was the appropriate moment to re-record these songs because so many of these songs have grown into this moment. And just on a practical level, when I signed my recording deal, as many of my colleagues did in the 70s and 80s, you know, there was nothing, nothing like social media or any of these revenue streams that exist now because of that. And so the record companies own those original tracks, those original masters. And so many of my colleagues, as I said, as well as myself, have re-recorded our hits so we can own the masters and license them and, uh, and you know, make the, the little harmonic tweaks or whatever we want to do um, because a song is a living thing. And if, you, if it has grown with you, as my songs have grown with me, I can infuse it with what I've learned and my life experience. Oh, I love it. And I'm so glad you got those rights back <laughs> where they belong. <laughs> it's definitely an honor and privilege to have you here and to hear this tune, Just You and I. Who else is on that tune that we're going to hear? Uh, Gerald Albright is an old colleague and dear friend of mine, and he's playing the sax solo. And... Um, it was really lovely to bring him on to this because years ago he played on another song, but for the life of us, we can't remember <laughs> which song that was. 
so I said, well, we, I better bring you on to this so at least we'll remember it because it's more recent history. And I think he did a swell job. Oh, that's great. Talking about La Creme de la Creme of Musicians, what are some of the highlights of your career that you will always hold on to? Well, I've, I've met some remarkable people. I did end up getting to know Ella Fitzgerald and uh, loving her dearly. And, you know, the fact that you can create a career that endures, that, um, uh, that you meet astounding colleagues and you make some deep friendships. You know, Barry Manilow is still a very good friend and a very true friend. And, and yet I have a host of lovely friends that nobody's ever heard of. They're just really decent people. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Well, what was it like meeting Ella? And especially because you said she was your idol at the age of five when you finally met her. What was that like? We had done a Memorex commercial together, and uh, she was, you know, she was as dear as could be, and um, years later, I was part of a tribute, an all-star tribute for her in New York City at Lincoln Center. She was being given the key to the city, and uh, she was, you know, advanced in her years, and um, it was just an incredible lineup of performers, and then at the end of the evening, uh, she came out to accept the award, and the place went nuts, and, you know, throwing roses onto the stage, and she Aww. said her thank you, and and finally, you know, the evening was over, and she started to walk up the stage, and she passed me and leaned into me and said, did I do okay? Aww. So it, was, it was very touching. Aww. I got chills. I bet you held on to those words. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did I do okay? Oh, how precious. I love yeah. it. Do you uh-huh. have any advice for aspiring artists? Well, when I teach, um, I teach master classes. And, uh, you know, the, the key advice for an aspiring artist is you have to want this more than anything, and you can't have a plan B. If you have a plan B, then you are probably better off going with the plan B because the odds are really against you. But if you really want this more than anything, then you have to uh, keep working at your craft. And if you are a singer-songwriter, you have to really learn from the breadth of the American songbook, not not just the music of today. And really write for not you and not the people who love you, but people who don't know you. Oh. And try to, and try to find that authentic voice, because as I learned from Paul Simon, all the so- all the stories have been written. It's the way you tell your story that is your stamp of authenticity. So that's oh. that's a it's a rigorous walk. Oh. And um, yeah, that's my advice. Oh, I love that, and that could be life advice in general. To be authentic, find your voice, and walk in that authenticity. I know that's a challenge yeah. for me in life in general. <laughs> well, living takes courage. You know, living an authentic life takes courage, and um, we don't talk about that a lot, but it's just true. Hear ye, hear ye. You said it so succinctly and eloquently. Thank you so much. Do you have anything coming up that you would like to share with your friends, family, and fans? 
Well, uh, as you mentioned before, Just You and I was released last month with the video, uh, and it was the first release of my upcoming 24th album, Review. The second re uh, release just came out about a week ago called Midnight Blue, another song that I wrote with Carol Sager. And we're going to be rolling this out one song plus video a month. Oh. And then at the end of the 10 months, it's going to be a collection, and that will be the 24th album. But since we're all locked in place and we can't go anywhere, the, you know, the revealing of a video is, is an event. And so that's what I'm doing. Yes, that's what is a CD release today, the new normal. <laughs> uh -huh. Wow, that's so exciting, something to look forward to. Yeah. And on another note, since this show is about love and relationships, I was wondering if you had any advice on how to find and keep love in your life. Uh, I can only speak for my children and my friends. And my children are lovely adults who are living purposeful and successful lives. And I'm grateful that somehow they, they got enough goods from me and their dad growing up to find, to find their own way. And even if they weren't mine, I would really like them as friends. Oh, that is so sweet. And we don't go far from the nest. So you sound like you're an amazing parent. And I love that you use the word purposeful instead mm -hmm. of living a life that you would imagine for them, but that it's finding their own purpose and meaning. Right. right. Oh. I love it. It's so beautiful. Well, it's been a pleasure and honor to have you here. And without further ado, we're going to hear Melissa Manchester in Just You and I. Take it away, Melissa. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Take care. You too. Bye-bye now. When your heroes go up in a puff And there's not enough to hang on to And the ones you would count on to call They all fall down all around you Then you've got to believe them more. It is the reason we're put here for There's just you and I A miracle's long overdue And there's no one who 
gonna come to God So you keep looking up to the sky Wondering why the clouds won't hide At the times when you're most afraid That is the reason why dreams are made is just you and I great was that? Welcome back to the show, Stephen. We were talking about opening your heart when it's been wounded and hurt most of your life. Finding the courage and the strength to go where the love is. To find that reciprocity. When you were talking about friendship at the beginning, you were talking about how you request things and you feel ignored and you keep attracting people. It sounds like they're not reciprocal. Would that fit? Yes, I think that would be uh, a good word for it. Uh, I seem to make them a priority in my life, but they don't make me a priority in their life. Is that something you would like to change? You do deserve reciprocity, and you're a super giving person. I can already tell. I can tell from your energy and just your spirit. You have so much to give. I feel like you would be bursting to give someone this. You can find someone that will be bursting to give you the same back. 
Well, it's been frustrating that I haven't been able to manifest that, though I do feel like I'm willing to do that. Wow. I love it. (laughs) Well, let's talk about some baby steps you might be willing to take for that goal. That sounds like a wonderful goal to strive for. You sound like you're very insightful. You're super aware what's going on with you. You've done a lot of work in healing. What do you think is something that you could do that you haven't been doing towards the goal of a relationship that is reciprocal? Well, maybe I can just envision that in my mind of, you know, having that kind of a relationship, just meditating on that. I love it. Do you do any affirmations? I'm just starting to do some affirmations lately. I do meditate every morning. Uh, I really don't do the affirmation part of it. I was thinking you might want to write out what you envision so that it becomes not only in your imagination and in your mind, but that it's on the paper. So it's going from your spiritual mind to your physical being through your mind, through the pen, onto the paper. And I'm not even talking about putting it in the computer or typing it into your phone, but literally a pen and paper if you even have any of those anymore. (laughs) I believe in the power of the pen and I believe in the power of words. So with both of those, first envision what we're talking about in a meditation, then literally take out the pen and paper and write out what it is you're looking for. It's almost like a want ad. If you were putting an ad in to hire someone to build a house for you or putting a want ad for the perfect job, anything like that, write out what you want. I'm looking for someone who is nurturing, who is kind, who is loving, and who would be excited to give 100% as I am. You know, I mean, that's my words, but I'm just saying in your own words. Yes, I like that. That will help you to change your brain chemistry, which in turn, as you already know, it sounds like, change your vibration to attract something different because we attract where we are at. I believe that. I hear that from you, which is why I thought of that. When we change our insides, we're going to attract something different. And you said this is a pattern that you've been attracting people that aren't there for you. They ignore you. They aren't on time. They don't respect you. And you ask for things, and it's not reciprocal. As you transform from the inside out, you will start attracting a different kind of friend, lover, associate. I'm so excited. I don't know about you, but I'm already envisioning this. I can just feel that person that I believe is already in the universe is starting to move towards you. I can even see them walking towards you. Okay, I will start putting pen to paper and start writing down these affirmations as part of my 
morning ritual. The next step, should you choose to accept this mission possible, would be continuing to say that over and over because there's something in repetition. The repetition is going to help change your muscle. It's like an exercise. If you want to build a muscle, you go to the gym and you can't just go once a week. You have to go every day to build biceps. That's what you're basically doing. You're building up this muscle. You said you've kind of ignored it. You've put it aside. It's been a pattern. You've been frustrated. Now you are going to start to build that muscle. I love it. And it's not even external muscles. I don't know what you look like, so I don't know if you've got biceps, triceps, abs, or whatever. But this muscle, which is much more valuable (laughs) in my line, I am so excited to hear about this, how you are working out on a daily basis. That's what it takes. Repetition. You sound like someone who has the courage and inner strength and the chutzpah to take on this mission possible. It's a good way of stating it. I'm so excited. I would encourage you to call back because this is just one baby step in the process. And I don't want to overwhelm you because, as you said, it's like you're walking out of prison. You've been in a prison of your mind when you come out, you have to take it slow and start to develop the skills that have been put aside. The uh, potential's there to, uh, to do these things. And the gifts are there awaiting for you. The world is your oyster <laughs> right now. You are emerging. You are blossoming as we speak right where you stand. Bravo, bravo. I am cheering you on. Woo! Well, you thank are, you for the support. I appreciate it. You are my hero. I truly, truly want to hear back from you, take you on this journey, follow through. Next, I want to talk to you about how you can attract someone in your daily life, whether it's going to the market. It might be a little difficult right now because I don't know if you're even going to a market because I'm not. But just in your daily life, if you come across anyone, things that you can do to open up a conversation. But again, once you start on these insights, your outsides are going to change right before your eyes. Certainly. It's magic. An inside job. (laughs) Thank you so much. I hope that's going to help you get some sweet, soft, sound, soothing slumber tonight. And I can't wait to hear from you again. Well, thank you for your wise advice. (laughs) My pleasure and honor. Bye-bye now. Okay. Good night. Good night. Well, that's all the time we have. Tune in nightly at 9 p.m. Pacific Time and midnight Eastern Time to AmericanHeartsRadio.com for another enlightening episode of Sleepless in Studio City. Dr. Debs, deemed the new relationship guru, a West Coast Dr. Laura, and East Coast Carrie Bradshaw, provides comforting, heartfelt help. She will lift your spirits, illuminate your mind, inspire creativity, promote positivity, and empower you to pursue your highest aspirations. 
You deserve to be the best version of yourself. If you'd like to be a guest caller, featured artist, or have your writing question answered on the show, feel free to contact Dr. Debs at sleeplessinstudiocity at gmail.com, and she'll schedule you for the next opening. For replay links, updates, and affirmations, please visit facebook.com slash sleeplessinstudiocity or twitter.com slash drdebs. Find full episodes on iTunes. You can also listen to five-minute excerpts on YouTube while watching a soothing, serene slideshow. Dr. Debs is available around the clock for telephone life coaching sessions, and the first consultation is free. Contact her at sleeplessinstudiocity at gmail.com to arrange an appointment at your convenience. Dr. Debs will impart weekly wows, words of wisdom, and leave you with esteem builders and confidence boosters to help you transform from the inside out. Repeat often. Say them in the morning, in the evening, while driving, standing in line, or on a lunch break. Speak with conviction, and you will begin to believe. Without further ado, here's Dr. Debs. Thank you, Maxie, for that endearing closing. You light up my life and bring me hope to carry on. You are the reason for the season. This show would not be possible without your encouragement, your enthusiasm, and your pure, pure, precious, priceless persona. (laughs) I leave you with these words of wisdom from the awesome Persian poet Rumi. Yesterday, I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today, I am wise, so I am changing myself. (laughs) There is a candle in your heart, ready to be kindled. There is a void in your soul, ready to be filled. You feel it, don't you? (laughs) <laughs> I love Rumi. <laughs> and there's actually a Rumi cafe in Sherman Oaks. If you haven't been there, you can take a visit. <laughs> Rumi was a jurist and a religion teacher until the age of 37. <laughs> He's a great spiritual master. Okay, folks. One more roomy for the road. <laughs> the very center of your heart is where life begins, the most beautiful place on earth. <laughs> Don't you know yet? It is your light that lights the world. Let's get that light beaming glowing, shining ever so brightly. All of our hearts can be uncovered now. (laughs) You don't have to wear a mask over your heart. We can walk around heart to heart, inside to inside, soul to soul, spirit to spirit. 
The universe is not outside of you. Look inside yourself. Everything that you want, you already are. <laughs> Close your eyes. Fall in love. Stay there. If light is in your heart, you will find your way home. <laughs> Thank you, Rumi. I leave you with these COVID confidence boosters to help you rise into the light, into your crown chakra. My thoughts are clear. I am surrounded by peace and serenity. I am calm, cool, and collected. I offer the best version of myself, even when I am frustrated because that is my personal standard. I treat everyone with respect, even when it is challenging to do so. I am committed to finding something positive to focus on, even in negative situations. I am committed to self-care. I am productive. I accomplish my tasks. And I am diligent with my time. I am a beacon of love and light. I bring out the best in others. From here on out, today will be a good day. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> After midnight, we're going to let it all hang out. After midnight, we're going to let it all hang out. I see. After midnight, uh, we're going to let it all hang out.